We open God's word together this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to be looking into the life of another of the unsung, what I'm calling the unsung heroes of faith. We looked at the little maid in 2 Kings 5 last Sunday. Now we're going to look at a man some of you might remember, Onesiphorus, who was a member in the church of Ephesus. Paul is writing 2 Timothy to Timothy, pastor in the church of Ephesus. 2 Timothy is the last epistle that Paul writes. He is writing in his second imprisonment in Rome, the imprisonment in which he was literally chained in a cell, and the imprisonment that's going to result in his death. So this morning we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 1, and our text will be the last three verses of that chapter, and then we're also going to read a short section from 2 Timothy chapter 4. God's word in 2 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy My dearly beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy." When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which things, for the which cause, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost who dwelleth in us. 
This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom is Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. We turn the page over in our Bible to the fourth chapter, verse 9. He's speaking again here directly to Timothy. First Timothy, or Second Timothy 4, verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly to me. For Deimos hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens, to Galatia, Titus, unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antichius have I sent to Ephesus the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when thou comest bring with thee and the books but especially the parchments Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil the Lord reward him according to his work of whom be thou rare also for he hath greatly withstood our word At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. We read to that point. Asking God to bless his word to us this morning. I'd like to read the text. 16 through 18 of 2 Timothy 1. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. As I mentioned last Sunday morning, we're following in these weeks what we might call the unsung heroes of faith, not those heroes recorded for us so wonderfully on the pages of Hebrews 11, but those who are less known unnoticed, perhaps even unknown, 
and at times even unnamed. There is no song that is being sung for them. We sing, Dare to be a Daniel. We sing, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Of David, it was sung, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. But there are many other saints of God, unnoticed, for whom there is apparently no song, and yet they are known to God, they are seen by God, and their acts of faith, as we read in Hebrews chapter 13, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ today, the same today, yesterday, and forever. And I pointed out yes, uh, last week that as we study these unknown and often forgotten men and women of faith, there are two lessons that we are learning repeatedly about the nature of a true and living faith. True faith, number one, does not sit around waiting for a great moment to appear and to shine. But true faith lives every moment of your life to reflect Jesus Christ, to serve Jesus Christ. It's not looking for the moment, and now I will live in faith. That's not true faith. True faith is moment by moment in everything in our lives. And secondly, we learn from these unnoticed heroes of faith that true faith does not seek to bring notice unto itself and to its own deeds, but a true and living faith notices others in the body of Christ over oneself and seeks always to bring notice, attention to Jesus Christ. That's true faith. Now, Onesiphorus, we learn, was and his family were members in the church of Ephesus. He has mentioned only two places in the Bible, in our text, and then when we read again in chapter 4, verse 19, the household of Onesiphorus. His name means helpful, profitable, useful. That's what his name means. The name in the Greek, is the same as when we read in chapter 4, verse 9, when Paul said, bring Mark, for he is profitable to me. Onesiphorus' name means profitable to others. He may well have been dead when Paul is writing this epistle to Timothy. We speculate on that point. And we do so because Paul's references are to the household of Onesiphorus, not per se directly to him. And the references to Onesiphorus' acts are in the past. So we might gather that at this point he had died and Paul is sending a word to his household. We don't know that for sure. We only know that what we are told about him is in these verses There's no monument that has been erected to him that I'm aware of. There's no noticeable lasting effect that he made on church history. But he was 
a hero of faith. I'm going to summarize his life in one sentence for you, and then I'm going to ask us all a question. His life may be summarized this way. Onesiphorus was a loyal, encouraging, diligent servant of Christ who showed to his fellow believers the mercy that he had received from Christ. Children and young people, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to say it in your mind. Say it with me again. I'll repeat it. Onesiphorus was a loyal, encouraging, diligent servant of Christ who wanted to show the mercy that he had received from God to his fellow believers. And now the question. Children, young people, all of us, if your life is to be summarized with one sentence, how would your life be summarized by this grace of God? A loyal, encouraging, diligent servant of Christ, showing forth the mercy of the Lord. So the unsung faith of Onesiphorus and uh, three points that we'll follow this morning are that he was, first of all, a loyal friend. And that's the emphasis of the text. That he was, secondly, a very encouraging brother. And that, finally, that he was a well, a wellspring of mercy to others. Onesiphorus was a loyal friend to the Apostle Paul at the time in Paul's life that he needed a loyal friend. At the time in Paul's life when he was being abandoned and being scorned and rejected, not just by the world, but by many in the church. Paul writes, Onesiphorus was not ashamed of my chains, of my being bound in Rome, in Rome, but he sought me out very diligent, diligently. And Paul, in verse 16, is mentioning him in opposition to many in the church at that time. If you look at verse 15, Paul writes to Timothy, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now the word all does not mean every single Christian believer in Asia had departed from Paul, but he's referring to the fact that there was at this time a large-scale defection from the Apostle Paul. He names two spiritual leaders who have turned away from him. In opposition or contrast to them, there is this man Onesiphorus who has not turned away from him, who is a loyal friend in Christ. We learn from this epistle and from 
the book of Acts that there were at this time in Paul's life other spiritual leaders defecting from him and playing the role of a Benedict Arnold. They were becoming Quislings and they were defecting in that they were bringing a different doctrine. Paul is incarcerated and they took the opportunity to preach false doctrines. They turned away from Paul. There were others, we learn from the epistle to the Philippians, who at this time, while not bringing in false doctrines, there were other spiritual leaders in the church who seized on this moment when Paul was in prison to assert themselves into the leadership of the church and to preach Christ, really, for their own glory and advantage. And then still others and probably the majority of whom Paul has in mind, were simply afraid of the scorn and the shame that would come by being associated with the Apostle Paul at this time, who is the prisoner of the state, and to be associated outwardly with the truth that he was teaching in Jesus Christ, and to become an object, as was Paul, of the hate and the derision of the world. They were ashamed. As we read the epistle, or the first chapter, it becomes very plain that this is on Paul's mind, also with respect to Timothy. Verse 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, Verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I, Timothy, I'm not ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel I have preached or being associated with me in this world. We gain more of a feel for it in chapter 4, the verses that we read. Paul says, Demas, a long-standing friend, has forsaken me. Having loved the things of this world, what drew him away was the covetousness of this life. He, he says that there are others who have left for different places of service. He refers to Alexander the coppersmith who did me much evil. And then he writes in verse 16, we read this, At my first answer, no one stood with me. He's referring to his first arraignment when he stood before Caesar. On that day, on that morning, Paul stood there alone. No one was with him. He says, but all men forsook me. I pray that God will not lay it to their charge. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ and young people, confessing the name of Jesus Christ is not simply a matter of wearing a bracelet or a necklace. It's not just the courage to pray in public at the fair before you eat. But it is that you are ready to endure the shame that is heaped upon those who confessed Jesus Christ. Paul confessed him before Caesar, who he refers to as the lion. 
ready to devour him. But there were many who were backing away at this point as Paul stood before the world in his Christian faith. But not Onesiphorus. He came to Rome to refresh Paul and to seek him out. Shame is a powerful emotion. Sometimes the Bible uses that word shame in a good sense. We must be ashamed of our sins. True repentance is not simply a gritted acknowledgement, I've sinned, but it's a shame of my sinful deeds before God. And it's exactly when we no longer can have shame, when we don't feel shame for our sins, that this is a sign of spiritual hardening. Jeremiah 6 verse 14, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not ashamed. Neither could they blush. None of them said, what have I done? In this world this morning, do we preserve before God a shame over sin and a shame now specifically over our own sin. A shame which blots out all attempts to make excuses and to minimize our sin and confesses those sins before God. So shame can be a very important thing. But the Bible warns us of a shame that we may not have. And that's a shame of Jesus Christ and of the gospel of his grace. And here, we must not, listen now, all of us, we must not be ashamed of those who we know are confessing that name in truth, love, and righteousness. Paul understood that when he was in Rome as a prison, that this would now become a risky thing for anybody else to associate themselves with this, this notable prisoner of Rome. And so we ask the question to ourselves, would you be listed, would I be listed in the Bible as those who at that moment closed one eye, we say, turned away from Paul. The blessed apostle Paul who brought us the gospel. Passivity is hurtful. Passivity was hurtful to the Apostle Paul. We think and we are being hurtful to each other when we do sinful things and when we say cruel things. 
we are being hurtful to each other. But we can be as hurtful to each other when we are passive. When we hold back because of a feeling of shame for those who are living and believing and standing in their faith of Jesus Christ publicly. They spoke out in the classroom or they said something. And we don't want to be associated with that because then the eyes of the world come to us as well. Revelation 21, verse 8, speaking of those who will be outside the city of God, mentions, first of all, but the fearful and the unbelieving, that is, the ashamed and the unbelieving. And now the point this morning is not, yes, we have our failures and our sins, and very often we fail to say something when we have an opportunity. We have even maybe even the Bible open before us and someone asks and we're somewhat ashamed or hesitant to speak of that faith. That's true. But the point here is that Paul is in the moment of crisis. The world's camera has turned to the Apostle Paul. Are you associated with that man or not? Paul is not a radical. He is not a religious fanatic. He is not a self-centered, foolish radical. He's not a rebel against the state. They tried to tag him with that label, but he was not. Paul lived the Christian life and testified of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. It was time to stand and to be counted with him. And Onesiphorus was loyal. And so you can see why Paul was so thankful for his friend, Onesiphorus. He oft refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chain. This lightning rod, Paul is a lightning rod of the Christian faith in the first century. In the, this first century of ant, severe anti-Christian culture, the first century A.D. is a picture of the last century A.D. And as it was then, so shall it be in the last day and today. You could not say publicly what Paul was saying the religious, the Jews, said to him, said about him, he hates our expression of religion. He's a bigot. He's intolerant of us, of our temple, of our religion, of our traditions. He despises our traditions. Rome was saying, he denies the worship of Caesar. He denies the principle which is going to hold Pax Romana. This is going to give us peace, all that we are promoted. He denies our gods of stone and myth. He says that there is only one king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the audacity to say that there is no peace 
for any soul except in Jesus Christ alone, trusting, believing in him alone. And Onesiphorus was loyal. He was not blindly loyal. Sometimes friends can be blindly loyal. Then a good friend, when we're wrong, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm sure that would happen with Onesiphorus and Paul, that they loved each other. And if they saw something that was not right, they would speak to each other in their lives. But it's not that. Paul is being condemned for the gospel of Christ. And what does he need now? He's a man in flesh, as we are in flesh. What did he need? Did he need simply a secret message praying for you? Yes, that would have been helpful. He needed a public friend. He needed brothers and sisters to identify themselves. He's chained for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in isolation. He needs someone to come and find him to put their life and reputation on the line for the gospel. The question this morning is, are we loyal to our friends in Jesus Christ? Are we loyal to correct them if they are wrong, but to identify with them when the world turns to hate them for Christ's sake? We need that. In these last days, we are going to need that more than ever. We will not be allowed to be passive. We must be ready to bear the scorn and the derision of the world when the truth of the gospel that we love and cherish is identified by the world as evil. We must not leave any who confess it alone or forsaken. This was Onesiphorus. He was loyal. But in addition... Onesiphorus and his loyalty was a very encouraging brother. And the text brings out his character, the character of this man. And it brings out three ways whereby he showed his loyalty, but whereby he encouraged Paul. We read that Paul says of him, the first thing that he says about him is, for he oft refreshed me. He oft uh, encouraged, he oft cheered me up, he oft revived my spirit. He breathed a breath of fresh spiritual air to me. Physically, no doubt, he would have brought to Paul in the prison the things for the body that he was deprived of, but spiritually, 
he would come to Paul to pray with Paul, to call upon Paul to hope in the living God. Onesiphorus to Paul was the same as Jonathan to David. Do you remember that? I trust boys and girls and all of us do remember that. And do you remember when David was being hunted by, by Saul and being betrayed by towns that he had helped and when his spirit was simply depressed and he went into a wood to hide himself and pulled the ground over him and no one could find him. That we read, but Jonathan found him. His friend Jonathan found him and strengthened his hand in the Lord and remind him of his promises. He oft refreshed me. He had this gift to pick me up. Are you and I a refresher of the brethren or a depressor? Do we lift each other's hearts up to Christ? Or do we bring them down? Do we carry in our stomach a sour pickle religion? Do others want to be around us? Not because they're offended at the truth that we preach, but because of a depressing attitude do we have and do we share a hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul notes in the epistles those in the church of his day who were an encouragement to him. He speaks of Titus. He speaks of Timothy. He speaks of those who cared for his soul. And so Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 42, And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones who believe in me a cup of cold water, only in the name of the disciple, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Are people refreshed spiritually by our company? We are Calvinist. We are reformed by the grace of God. And therefore we, of all people, should be the most hopeful. Walking in the wonder of God's grace and forgiveness. Comforted in everything by the sovereignty of our God. Yes, our life is difficult, and it will be that way till we die. But we have a gospel, a hope, a trust in God. We ought to be those who refresh others. But not only was his character a refresher, there was another characteristic of this man, this encouraging brother, and that was that he was diligent. 
He says, Paul says of him, he was not ashamed of my chain, but when he was in Rome, he sought me, he searched for me very diligently, and he found me. Now, we don't know why or when Onesiphorus came to Rome from Ephesus. He probably came exactly because he knew Paul was being held there. But we are told this, that when he did arrive in Rome, he had to search. It was not so easy to find the Apostle Paul. It took some digging. He didn't know what catacomb or where he was being held. And it was not necessarily a good thing to do to walk around asking to find a prisoner while you're walking through Rome before the guards. It took some determination to find the Apostle Paul. He had at times not to take no for an answer. He had to keep looking for him. Determination. Diligence. We sometimes say, well, is the thought that counts. And that's true. To remember. The Bible is always telling us to remember. And when I call to mind, we must remember each other in our prayers. But when there's a crisis like this, it's more than the thought that counts. If all else and everyone else had abandoned your friend, Would you be there? Your friend in Christ, would you seek them out? And maybe take, not take no for an answer. Do your friends say, as a young person to you, do you say this, I know that when I am at my worst, spiritually, she will find me. She will talk to me. Do our children know that? That at the moment of crisis, the love of God will cause us to find them. I can remember times as a pastor when in God's providence there was what we would call a catastrophe, a crisis, a sudden, painful death of a child, of a young person, I'd get the phone call. On the way to the house or to the hospital, I'd be struggling. What am I going to say? Only to arrive at the house or at the hospital and the house is filled with other Christians who were there before me. And they're singing. They're helping. I remember what a funeral director told me. It's, you probably heard him, heard a funeral director say this to you too. We go to a funeral home. What am I going to say? And then they will respond to you. A Christian funeral director will respond to you somewhere along the lines. You need to remember that it's not so much what you say because they're probably not going to remember. But they will remember that you were there. That's true. 
Onesiphorus was there. And this teaches us a lesson in our spiritual life of fellowship in the congregation. And the lesson is simply this. It's amazing how much you can get when you simply show up. Young people, how much do we not get when you show up at a retreat? Do I want to go? It's a long ways. I don't know anybody. It's amazing how much you get when you show up. Is there somebody in need? It's amazing how much you get by being there. When your Bible studies begin and it's dreary and rainy here in Linden, how much you get, how much you get in a young people's gathering by simply being there, showing up, being diligent to get yourself over there. That also applies to us as we get older and our bones become achy and we don't want to get out of that chair anymore. Our business is to be there with each other in the Word of God. How much God does not give us on the Lord's Day by showing up, by being there. And then finally, this man's character was refreshing, diligent. His character was simply a servant. He liked to serve others. This man, Onesiphorus, is not one of Paul's minister's friends who would seek Paul out because they would have theological questions that were on their heart and soul and would enjoy the give and take of a good theological discussion. This is not Onesiphorus. I'm not saying he does not love the truth of God, but his heart is motivated by service. And he was the one, it was not a minister friend who came to that prison cell that nobody could find, but when Paul looked up one day and looked through the bars, who was it that was standing there? It was Onesiphorus. And Paul said, well, of course. I thought you would come. That was his character. Character. We are taught that our character, children, we, what is character? Character, your parents will tell you, is who you are when no one is watching you. That's true. We are taught here in this scripture that character is this. Your character is whatever you are doing that does not surprise other people. It doesn't surprise them. When they hear you did this, they would say, well, that's like him. This was like him. It was like him to come in a moment of need and encouragement. What is a hero of faith? A hero of faith is one who lives moment by moment in his faith and seeks not to bring attention to self, 
but to bring those mercies of God to others. And this is exactly what makes our faith in Christ so contrary, follow carefully, so contrary to our culture, our culture of immorality, of darkness, a culture of sinful darkness in our country, a culture which is everybody saying, don't tread on me, in which morality is this. Morality is that you express yourself the way you want and you demand that everybody else has to affirm your expression and that the world has to change to support my self-expression. And if you do this as a young person, you are a hero. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is this. Let a man deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. It shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, to, to be ministered unto, to be served, but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Our character must be the character of a servant in Christ. Finally, I want to point out to you this morning that Onesiphorus, by God's grace, became a well of mercy to the Apostle Paul. And now I'm calling your attention to Paul's words that he repeats. He says it twice. Verse 16. The Lord God give mercy to the house of Anisiphorus. Mercy. And then verse 18. The Lord grant that he find mercy of the Lord in that day. Paul's mind is thinking about, is led by the Spirit to think about mercy. And why is he thinking about mercy? Well, the Lord said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The source of Onesiphorus' actions was the experience of God's mercy to him. We're not told that story. But he knew the mercy of God to him as a sinner, the pure, sovereign mercy of God. He knew that mercy of God which alone could remove the guilt of his sin. The evil of which he was guilty. He knew the amazing mercy of Christ to remove the guilt of his own sin and save his soul. Paul knew the same thing in a very profound way. He says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I was harmful. But I obtained mercy. Both men knew God's mercy. And both men 
saw God's mercy coming to them in each other. Faith is conscious of God's mercy. And faith makes us loyal, diligent, thoughtful of each other. Children, young people, all of us, going back to the one sentence description of this man's life. He was a loyal, encouraging, diligent servant of Christ who showed to others the mercy that he had received from Christ. Let us pray. Lord, make me a loyal, refreshing, diligent servant of thine who shows thy mercy that I have received to my fellow believers. Doing this in total dependence upon Jesus Christ. May we live in this day loyal one to another in the gospel of Christ. Amen. Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We confess that thy word is truth. And we pray that thy spirit and word may shine upon our hearts and show us the pathway that is ours in Jesus Christ. Forgive all that was spoken and set amiss and missed terribly the mark of thy glory in this sermon and sanctify thy truth this morning to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.